Welcome to Conversations. My name is Amy Adams. I'm the editor of Conscious Life Space and the broadcaster of this podcast. I hope that you'll like what we have to offer here in conversations with experts in various areas of life. Today's episode, number one, opening up to your mind and body with yoga, a conversation with Heidi Kamuti. One of the lessons we learn in yoga is to take what we learn on the mat off the mat. And for some practitioners, this translates into a new career path. After becoming a new mom and leaving behind a career in television production, Heidi decided to delve deeper into the wellness field, first as a doula, then becoming a yoga instructor About one year ago, Heidi was considering moving away from the holistic health realm as her full-time occupation and dedicating less time to it, but the universe would have none of that. Instead, her calling to do the work simply got stronger. She rededicated herself to it, and as a dedicated yogini and wellness educator, she was called to train on aerial silks and added this to her extensive list of teacher certifications. Some topics we discuss include Heidi's path to yoga, cultural links to yoga, what to consider when looking for a style of yoga to practice, the importance of breath, and the health benefits of yoga, as well as crying on the mat. If you're interested in learning about the benefits of yoga and how it can help guide you on your path, you're going to find lots of inspiration and information about yoga in this interview. Hi everyone, I'm Amy and today I am interviewing Heidi Kamuti. She is a, a yoga instructor, but she also teaches uh, some other movement courses, which uh, she can talk about when, when I give her a chance to speak. <laughs> so, I'll answer all the questions. <laughs> so um, I have had the privilege of knowing Heidi for many years now, and both of us, when we met, were not on the path of uh, yoga. Even though I had practiced yoga, she practiced yoga, but we weren't on this path where we were uh, trying to get information out to people about yoga and about health and wellness and that kind of thing. Welcome to episode one of Conscious Life Spaces Conversations. So, Heidi, would you like to just introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about what you're teaching now? Currently, I am mostly teaching restorative. And uh, so since 2010, I have primarily taught restorative and therapeutic yoga to people with chronic issues and special needs. That is my specialty. Where are you teaching now? Right now, I'm teaching uh, restorative yoga to adults uh, at Quell in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, I also teach private clients who like to have home visits, who do not want to be in studio settings because they have some physical or emotional issues, and so they want the the private in-home therapeutic type sessions. So how did you actually get into yoga? What was the thing that um, attracted you to it? Well, 
when I was in college, I was always attracted to kind of like outside the box, new agey stuff. So uh, when yoga was on the offerings for, uh, for physical education electives, when I was at Montclair State in the 90s, I took it as a gym elective and the teacher was an athletic coach and he was very into using visualizations, meditation and breath to kind of prep athletes to get in the right space to perform physically. So that actually, my actual first yoga class, he was not so much about poses. He was about the, the mind stuff. I knew yoga had something to do with the mind. And like, luckily that was the first stop for me. Then there was a studio called Star Seed owned by Jyoti Crystal. Uh, she was kind of a local shamanista around Montclair. And she was teaching straight up Hatha yoga, no fancy vinyasa with music and dancey flow, just like straight Iyengar, the poses, correct alignment. Mm -hmm. And so that was the beginning in the 90s, in the late 90s of me taking yoga, not teaching. Well, after years of taking and being around Montclair, which is like very saturated with yoga studios and so much yoga knowledge, I trained with Jennifer Cole. She had an outreach program in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, we were teaching volunteer, uh, teaching yoga as in yoga and mindfulness as an enrichment in the Newark public school system. Mm -hmm. So in fact, I really started teaching like eight to 13 classes a week, just volunteering. I was a stay-at-home mom and being with my own daughter, it fit in for me to teach children. And that was a great way for me to teach a, a large quantity of classes and really learn how to be a teacher in a serving way and um, how to cue classes and work with different audiences. Is that part of your teacher training or did you go to teacher training first and then you did that? Well, I was a practitioner long enough that I could volunteer teach. And as I was working with Jennifer Cole, I decided to take her 300 hour training. So I would be certified. And that training also covered restorative and prenatal. So in 300 hours, I was well covered to do vinyasa, hatha, prenatal and uh, restorative style. What happened is that after I was teaching in Newark a while, um, realizing all the behavioral issues and physical issues, I then did get certified in restorative and therapeutic in a deeper way at Yoga Works with Jillian Pransky and put a focus on it. There's one thing that comes up a lot with yoga and that is sometimes people feel like they are having to adopt a, another culture almost with this kind of spirituality. Right. And there's different teachers for different people. When I first trained, I was trained very classically with the chants, the Krishna chants and the harmonium and uh, uh, the philosophy of uh, Patanjali, which is all basically mindfulness and meditation. I decided as I was working with people therapeutically to infuse that in a way that just was really about the mind-body experience without bringing in any Hindu culture. Because I was in public school systems, sometimes even saying Om 
could be inappropriate. So I would use the word calm and say chant the word calm. So I would apply the philosophy without naming it or taking it to the roots of the culture because it does have spiritual undertones, but you can always make that for like common language, like say calm instead of ohm. You can play bowls or do sound and you can do mindfulness exercises with art and all kinds of things. So uh, doing it without bringing in the traditional Hindu origins basically is my angle because I have to respect everybody's spirituality and even in our training some people were not happy with that aspect of the training because they came to really learn yoga and wellness and they did not always want that so that's not my angle as a teacher. One of the things that I thought was kind of interesting I've seen some yoga teachers being critical uh, about students who just come to it for uh, physicality and personally, I feel that everyone has the right to come to it however they want. And I do believe that practicing yoga will bring you to yourself and create a lot of self-awareness so that you might even end up on a spiritual path. I don't really like this kind of judgment from some teachers I don't want to, you know, I'm now I'm judging the teachers, but um, well, everyone has to, ev I will go to this. Everyone has to find the teacher that resonates for them. You know, I, I might not be for everybody. I'm not a power. Let's get hot and sweaty. I want people to get into themselves and come home to themselves and start to care about their own wellness. That's my angle because wherever that takes you is going to be a win. If, if, I, if people come and start to make the connections with themselves and open up their mind and body, it's really their personal journey and it's everything on their time. I like that attitude personally. I mean, because I'm in agreement with you, but. Yeah, everybody, everybody arrives at yoga in a different place. Right. Right. I'm hypermobile. And so my body arrives already flexible, but not strong. I arrive with anxiety or whatever that I work through. So everybody, some people arrive perfectly balanced, but I think we're always uh, trying to maintain balance because every day is a different experience right. uh, with different things to solve. So, but we're all working through our own stuff. And I think to take ownership that you have stuff to work through, because everybody does, that is really, that's coming home to yourself. Not for me to teach you some Sanskrit that you might not want. Yeah, and I think people can get that on their own, or maybe they can find a teacher. And, and also, I actually like to practice with a few different teachers. I have one primary teacher, but then I also follow a couple of teachers that I don't know personally. One of them I know personally and I actually work with her online and she does workshops and things like that. But then there's other ones that I just follow because I like some things about them. But I feel a little upset that people feel like a, making a controversy about like the religion thing too, that it's a religion. Because right. I don't really believe that, I think yoga is for everyone. The point that yoga is for everyone was always my original inspiration, which is why I taught in Newark to underserved, right? Because everybody who had the budget for that kind of investment in themselves, that is wonderful. 
but it should be shared. The mindfulness and being able to connect with yourself and uh, create good positive community should be available in outreach and available to people whose bodies might not be able to get out to a class so that they can have that good feeling of feeling wellness, mind and body. So I wanted to ask you too about linking breath to movement and also how this can actually change your whole way of being. And also the other thing is, which I'd love to discuss a little bit, is about how it really is good for your health and by practicing even just a little bit um, that it can really change your life. Forgetting any kind of even self-development, self-improvement, but even just from the perspective as a uh, health treatment, so to speak. When we're breathing right and we're right in our alignment and our spine, we are sending message to the nervous system and the brain, which affects the way we look and experience life. So breathing is not a small thing and moving right is not a small thing. Sitting in crooked positions and not breathing well does something to our energy and that tells our brain something, right? So that's why it is a mind-body practice. When we are in awareness of how we're holding ourselves up in space and fully breathing correctly, we're one, we're, in, we're connected in our mind and body. That means we're not wandering, like we're in awareness. And it's telling our nervous system, it's, it's sending all the right messages and the right chemicals. It's helping balance even the chemicals by moving right. And then when we get beyond breathing and we take it into sinking the breath with the yoga movements, now we're kind of going into this kind of pendulum where we're like inhaling as we expand and exhaling on the down. And we're getting ourselves a little in this hypnosis of calmness, which then translates off the mat into this calm, balanced nervous system. That's why people feel so good and more centered when they have a regular practice. I realize sometimes my, in the very beginning, I might, my mind might be wandering a little bit. But then as I start, even if I'm just standing in mountain pose and I'm breathing at the very beginning or something, then um, when I start to move and do these kind of different poses, I, I can't even think about anything else because my body is like, you must pay attention and do this or you're gonna fall over. So this is a, this is a great point. When we are moving the body in very specific, specific ways, paying attention to where is my knee, how do I feel, what is the sensation I'm feeling in that movement, suddenly you can't think about your to-do list. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you can't sit there and obsess about some kind of self-doubt, right? Because you're fully focused on where every part of your body is and am I fully breathing? And, oh, this feels a little uncomfortable. How can I adjust myself to make my body feel better? What am I noticing about my body? Where is my mind wandering? So sometimes we'll come to the practice so busy in our head and you're going through the motions or the movements. And then you'll, I'll say to myself, I'll just talk about my own practice. 
I'll realize my head's not in the game and I'm not really moving properly. And then my mind's like, hey, pay attention to your body. You're here for this hour, let it go. And then usually after class, it's already gone because I moved to the body. I think the greatest thing about yoga is really you are practicing present moment awareness without even- Totally in the moment. Yeah, it's, it's not even though like you go there and say, oh, I'm going to be practicing present moment awareness. It's like, yeah, you can't say, you know, when you come to yoga, it's not like you go, okay, now I'm going to stop thinking. What happens in yoga is all of a sudden the instructor starts guiding you and with some verbal cueing. And now that's why I love a guided class, especially a guided med meditative type class where the teacher is taking me on some kind of journey. It doesn't have to be imaginative and crazy, but I do like when a teacher tells me exactly where my body and my breath should be and maybe take me out of the mental chatter. That's the job of the instructor to be very good at that. And so- Reminding you. Reminding and bringing you back. The teacher reminds and brings you back because everybody's going to drift, but then the teacher might say, you know, do this and inhale and imagine your breath going up the base of your spine through the crown of your head. Suddenly your mind's there and it's not on, oh, I, that person at work really annoyed me today, right? Because right. that doesn't matter. Tomorrow's a new day. Right. Why are we there? So who knows? Maybe that person was in a bad mood. I don't know. It's not my problem. And then we start to realize everybody's problem is not our problem. We need to be in ourselves. Absolutely. So yoga really is kind of like a tool for self-mastery and then also kind of commanding the nervous system. Do you have any tips or recommendations for listeners that maybe have never tried yoga? A lot of people who have not tried yoga or are new to yoga will say, like, I want to do yoga, but I'm not flexible. Or I want to do yoga, but my brain can't stop thinking. Or I want to do yoga, where should I go? And I always say, well, what are you looking to get out of your yoga? Do you want to get calm? Do you want to work out? I mean, there's nothing wrong with yoga as a workout. I think building strength in your body builds a strong constitution for your mind. And some people who are hyperflexible, like I'm hyperflexible, so I relate to this, is that I can always see the possibility and accommodate. So I do sometimes like a strong practice for myself that builds willpower and strength. So I, I don't think there's a right or wrong yoga, but I think people need to really ask, what do I want to get out of it? And then I can always say, well, I think this person will be a great teacher for you. Or I think this kind of class would be great for you. People are coming to restorative a lot just to get quiet, to teach themselves how to quiet the mind. Yeah, I think that's very important, especially in this kind of, the kind of environment now. I think a lot of people are always on the go. They feel like they have to do certain things. It's almost like there's like an artificial busyness. Right. Uh, many people in the culture are conditioned to believe that more is better and that being type A is revered as this positive thing. 
But actually, restorative yoga, and I do practice that as well, brings us back to center so we can kind of weed out and edit down and become masters at where do I need to be hyperproductive? Do, you know, running around wasting energy is not productive. What is productive is really hyper-focusing and manifesting what needs to get done and knowing the difference between what is going to have high impact and what needs to happen now. So when we get quiet and give our brain a recess, it reboots and then it comes back fresh and it, it sees with clarity uh, what the moment really requires. And that's, that is another kind of mastery, right? I feel like there's so much pressure on people to get the dinner made, get the bills paid, run to work, run right. and, and you know, that to-do list that you're talking about, the mental to-do list is like, I've said to them, well, unless I'm physically actually doing something and executing the act, like what is that mental to-do list? I have to keep reminding myself. It's kind of neurotic. Do I really have to cook dinner? I'm working tonight through dinner and Tim has band practice and Olivia's out with friends. So is how much of this list is real? Like how much of it really has to happen? There's stuff that is like, what about your goals? What about your creativity? Those things are really important. Not, did I get the groceries done? Let's think bigger. Yes. Yeah, the big, the big picture. Let's get the big, let's get the big picture of enjoying life. I think yoga too helps people kind of put those kinds of things in perspective and also teaches you to, I don't know if it like teaches you, it instills a confidence in you that you might have the strength to say no to something also that you might not have done before. You might right. have been, like, uh, compelled to do something out of obligation. And then when you had to do it, you're like, oh, no, but I, I'm not a teacher, so I don't have a lot of experience with how other students are. But from different people that I know that practice and from my own personal self, I feel like it does give you kind of a, a confidence or a focus where you can. Uh, yeah, I, I would say what I feel like uh, you're referring to is that when you're working with yourself in this way, you come from center more, you're less reactive. Yes. So, so what happened, so then what happens is your instincts become sharp and your decision making isn't so oh stressful so like making to like comparisons and contrasting like you're just gonna know you're gonna feel it because you're centered and you're gonna be like that i'm gonna do that i'm not gonna do that yeah so i think that it translates as looking confident because you're getting to know yourself and what you like and you don't like and you've become unwilling to use your time and energy in ways you might if you weren't so aware right yeah i know a lot of people have said too that yoga can bring them to tears sometimes even when they're on their mat they can just start to cry it like releases something it's very healing in that way talking about crying on the mat is a very interesting subject and i'm glad you brought it up because it happens to me uh, it happens when I'm teaching. It happens when I'm taking to some people. 
And I want to just say that a lot of people also, because this is the way we just know one way of thinking is that if someone cries in a, in the mat or in a pose that they're going through something inside, it must be bad. Um, actually, um, our bodies sometimes get sensations that could evoke an emotion or a memory and it could be just in your nervous system and then it comes out because of the somatic movement and that is actually totally fine and as a teacher if if it's manageable i've seen it a lot i let it go i don't draw attention to it if it's happening to me i will allow myself that moment uh, but we're not to make a big deal about it or analyze it because when you work with your body, a, a lot of people work through emotions on the mat. And that's one of the great reasons to come to a movement practice is because instead of letting your mind monkey mind something, you kind of can move through it through the physicality. When I do aerial silk uh, and I do lay in the silk open hammock, the first few times... It gave me this somatic reaction of tears because I don't think I've ever been held floating in space like that, right? Probably since we were babies. So it could have evoked a sensation that hit a chord and that was like a great release. Uh -huh. The teacher doesn't need to come over or make any self-conscious reference to it. You know what I mean? Sometimes the first time people hit air that freely, they have a release. Right. Yeah. I remember the first time that, and I still don't even, I can't even do it properly all the time, but the first time I actually did crow pose where I was, you know, my feet were off the ground. Right. I started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> which was even just like an accomplishment and and you know what and then for a long time I couldn't even do it again <laughs> but that's a whole other thing like one of the things that I love about yoga is that you are reminded that some days you can do something and you feel great and other days maybe the day before you did something and it was great and you felt like oh my goodness I held that pose and it was so exhilarating to know I'm making progress. And then the next day you try to do it and it, you're tired and you're, you know, it's not working. And right. Well, what you're saying is when you come to the practice, right, every day you're not a rock star. Some days it's like, I'm sore. Some days my core is like so strong. And what we also want to learn is not to judge our bodies every time we come to the mat just go experience yourself and let it be what it is every time i actually have sometimes when i'm doing a vinyasa flow i had a day where i wasn't feeling well and i used to be upset with myself if i couldn't do chaturanga and had you know i and upward dog i would have to do like just cobra which Cobra's fine. I mean, but now I don't care. Now I just, if I'm not feeling well, I just do Cobra. <laughs> uh, my personal opinion is if you've made your way to the mat with the intention and you go through the sequence, you, you did it. It doesn't matter how you did it. And it's not even just the rigorous practices like vinyasa, uh, even the passive practice of restorative and learning how to be receptive and passive with yourself and become the observer and get comfortable with that 
is courageous, a lot of people avoid that kind of inner stillness because they're like, what is going to creep up? You know, I don't want to look at it. But what if something ugly creeps up and you looked at it and you went, yeah, every thought is not rainbows and unicorns. So what? Right. This idea that if you're a yogi, my, you know, you, you just like emanate light and positivity. I actually do not like, and this is an important subject. I, I don't know the word to use, but fake positivity, like trying to tell people something, let it be what it is. Meet people where they're at and meet yourself where you're at. Yeah. And don't judge it. I agree with you. I feel like that is, it's almost like a disservice. It is, a, it, is, it is a disservice because it makes someone who might be having depressed, anxious thoughts or what have you feel like they're wrong for yoga because they're not peace and love, right? So a lot of people come to yoga who just lost a loved one or gone through a divorce or has a child who is having uh, behavioral issues and they're very stressed out. So people arrive to yoga to really own their stress and try to manage it. So we shouldn't really try to tell them that, you know, if you just change your mindset and you just think positive and do these moves, it's all going to be good. No. <laughs> it's not. I mean, but you're going to teach yourself how to be objective with yourself. Right. Maybe you'll be a more calm parent. Maybe you'll give yourself permission to grieve that loss and that's balance, right? Rather than maybe having a drink or a cigarette or whatever you do or getting your medication, maybe you'll start to process things in a balanced way. It's not always rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. I know for myself, sometimes a thought will come into my mind that's an old issue an old thought that has yeah the memory you get memories in yoga yeah. and, and it's just like hmm i thought i worked that thing out <laughs> but yeah. i do i do try to practice kindness with myself and i hope that all of the listeners here who want to try yoga too that they will also do that i really want to thank you today for taking the time to have this discussion heidi and I hope that people will find Heidi in Montclair. If you're in New Jersey, you can find her there. And um, I will put information in the description so you will be able to find her website and find, learn more about me and follow her on Instagram and all those things. So. Well, you know, I'm always up for talking about the experience of, of yoga, breath, or meditation, because really, I, I don't think I could survive without doing those things, and teaching helps me keep that discipline in my life. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can also visit the website at consciouslife.guru for show notes and learn more about our free forever gratitude course.